0: It's kind of interesting to transition from where we were to where we're headed this morning. But I want to ask this question. Have you ever had something in your life that you were just really good at? Something in your life that you were just really amazing at? Now, now don't look at your spouse and say arguing. That's not it. Uh, That's not a good thing. Actually, I think about Jason Wilson. He's walking off stage right here, our guy right here. Wave wave for me, Jason. He didn't know I was going to pick on him. Wave, wave, oh, just wave, wave everybody. Yeah, I know, sorry. No, no, you, you can wait too. So here's the thing, he didn't know I was gonna do this, but Jason, you're really good at something. You're really good at a lot of things, but one of the things that you're really good at is I've never seen you misthrow a baseball. Not one time. You can go on, I'm sorry. I, I, had, I had to pick on you were the first person that came to my mind when I thought about this question. Are you really, is there something you're really good at? Jason Wilson can throw a baseball. He can throw a Frisbee really well. We've been friends for uh, many years, and he's just really good at that. Like, that's just something he's excellent at. I I think about, like, more close to home, I think about my wife. And I'm not trying to brag or or show off, but, like, I'm just astounded by her voice. Like, I love hearing her sing. I, I know uh, I know people have affirmed that in her, but for me personally, like, I, I, I guarantee you I'm her, her biggest fan on her scene, and I love hearing her voice. She just has a beautiful voice. We all have something that we're good at, right? I, I'll go ahead and tell you mine, and it's a little embarrassing, and quite frankly, it's not that great, um, but have you ever watched a movie and heard the instrumental part behind the movie? You know I'm talking about, like the soundtrack, not the word part, but the the classical sounding stuff. I love that stuff. And here's the thing. I listen to that instrumental stuff all the time. So chances are, this is what I'm really good at, and this is a dumb thing to be good at, but it's true. If you played for me some instrumental part of one of those movies, I could probably tell you what movie it is. And what composer wrote it. And I'm not joking about that. But how dumb is that? Like, that's the one thing I'm good at. I can't play an instrument. I can't throw a baseball. But I can name a soundtrack. (laughs) Here's the truth, though. Every one of us in here has something we're good at. In fact, out of everyone in this room, there is one of you that claims the title to best toothbrusher. Have you thought about that before? There's someone in here That according to God's standard has the best technique for brushing your teeth. And you might not know you're that person, but guess what? There's someone in here that's really, really good at that. We all have things we're really good at. And some of you are really good at a lot of things. In fact, we have a phrase for that. We call you the jack of all trades, right? The person that just naturally has some things that they're just really good at. Like, it's just automatic And it's second nature to you. But let's be honest. There's one thing that most of us struggle at being good at in this room. And we talked about this last week. The thing that we struggle really a lot with and the thing that for most of us does not come second nature to us is this idea of loving other people, loving other people well. But this is the thing that Jesus commands of us, right? He says it in many places in Scripture. And in Mark 12, he says this again. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, can we think of anything harder than that? I mean, think about that for just a minute. Can we think of anything that seems more difficult than loving your neighbor? I'm thinking about my own life. I literally preached a message about this on Sunday and the six days between there, I can tell you, there were points of epic failure in that. Like, I couldn't go six days without completely loving all my neighbors well, all loving people well. This is a struggle for us, and if you think about your own life, if you think about your own conversations, and your own communication with people, and your own thoughts that are in your head, and your own dialogues with your spouse, and your own way you talk to your children, and the way you interact with people at work, you'll probably say the same thing, that loving people is a difficult thing. It's something that we really, truly struggle with. And it seems like an impossible task, doesn't it? It seems like something that really, truly, when we hear that, it's like, man, this seems impossible. But God doesn't just leave us to our own strength to accomplish this. He gives us this new nature in Christ that we have. And I know our screens are kind of having an issue. I think they're having some struggles back there. But just, just listen to this. This is our introduction. When we begin to follow Jesus... He gives us a second and better nature that empowers us to love others well. His desire is that this second nature would become second nature for us. That God's desire for us is that we would become such good lovers of him and such good lovers of people that we would get to a place where it does start to feel automatic, start feeling second nature to us. So how do we get there? What does the second nature look like? If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12. We were there last week, we're there today, and we're going to be there next week as well. But in Romans chapter 12, we really see a good picture of what the second nature looks like. And it involves many things. And we talked about a few of these last week. Last week, we said that our second nature involves both loving and hating Both loving and hating. Loving with authenticity and hating what is evil. Not just loving and hating. Our second nature also involves the idea of embracing something, but also rejecting something. We're embracing others in honor, and we're rejecting passivity. We're rejecting lazy love. Lastly, we said last week that our second nature involves both gaining something And also giving something. We're gaining perspective. We're gaining perspective over our tribulations and our struggles. But we're also giving generously. We're giving out generously to those in need. And what's interesting about these verses that we read last week, if you look at that little passage there... It seems to give us this context of how we treat and how we love people within the family of God. If you look at verse 10 there in your in your Bible, you'll see the word brotherly love, right This idea of family love. Verse 13 gives us another picture. It says there to, to give generously to who to the saints, right? Those that follow Jesus. The Saints is a is a phrase for those that follow Jesus, those that make up the true church, of God. But then verse 14 comes, which is where we're going to pick up today. And there's this shift in who we are to love. Look at this. It's the shift focusing off of the believers and really putting the focus on those that are outside of faith in Jesus. So the question for us today is this: How should we love our enemies? Think about this. There's a whole world out there that doesn't think like we do, doesn't believe like we do, doesn't act like we do, and like it or not, there are those in our world that hate us, that actually hate us. And there needs to be a disclaimer for this because we got to be careful not to take ourselves off the hook here. There is a disclaimer. Some people may hate you, because you are hateful, right? Some people may hate you because you are hateful. Maybe you have enemies because you're a jerk. That's not what we're talking about here. All of us have been there too, by the way, right? We've all had moments where we've made a hateful enemy by being hateful ourselves, And God's call to us is to repent of that, right? To set the record straight, to ask for forgiveness, to try our best to reconcile to that person that we've offended or that we've hurt, that we've all been there. We've been prompted to apologize many times. But what we're talking about here is something a little different than that. So if you're in that category, you need to go deal with that a different way than what we're talking about this morning. But there are also those that hate you because of Jesus. Paul tells us what to do. How do we love these people? Look with me in verse 14 there. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. The word persecute here to us signals that this is more than just a mere disagreement. This is people that actively oppose you for being a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to his followers followers in Matthew 10, his disciples in Matthew 10, 25, he said, hey, if they call me the devil, Jesus is saying this about himself, if they call me the devil, how much more are they going to malign you? How much more are they going to come after you? Following Jesus brings about enemies. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ, will be persecuted. In fact, if you're in this room today, and this might be a little troubling to you, but if you're in this room today and you don't believe you have any enemies in your life, here's what it might be. It might be that your godliness is not showing. Because here's what we know. People will see Christ in you if you show Christ in you. But if we don't show Christ in us, then maybe you don't have any enemies. But what does Luke 6:26 say? It says, "Woe to you when all people speak well of you. When we take a true stand for Jesus, we will be hated. We will be hated So here's the question. If we have these enemies out there, these enemies that we can't even help, we're trying to love people, right? We're trying to be loving to people, and yet there's still people out there that hate us, that don't like what we stand for. We come in contact with them. How do we love those people? How do we love those people? How do we show off the second nature of loving people? It involves two new words. This idea of disarming We're disarming something and we're equipping something else. Look at what we're disarming. We're disarming hostility. Disarming hostility. This verse gives us the way we can love those that hate us. Look at verse 14 again. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Bless and do not curse them. It's like the video we just watched. This idea of disarming people's hostility towards us and towards the gospel. And this isn't new information. Like, Paul wasn't the first guy to think about this. Jesus talks about this many different places. But look here. Uh, it's on the screen, but you can turn there either way. But Matthew five forty three through 47, Jesus gives his famous sermon on the mountain. Look at what it says there in verse 43. You have heard... That it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You've heard this. But I say to you, here's the change. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Most scholars believe... And I believe this too. This is one of the most controversial passages or most controversial things that Jesus ever said. If you want to talk about something that shocked people when they heard it, this was it. Like when Jesus said it, I can literally hear the thousands of people there on the mount listening to him, hearing him say this, and literally some of their mouths probably fell open. They probably had a little gasp like, oh. Because this is so controversial. What Jesus is doing here is he's extending our reach of love. That the reach for loving people now is not just loving from our neighbor. He's taking it from loving our neighbor to also now loving our enemy. You see, for a lot of us, we can get on board with love your neighbor, right? That's a palatable term. It's a cute little phrase. We've heard it growing up. And all of us, when we think of neighbor, we think of something, right? For me, when I think of the word neighbor, I think of Bernie and Cindy Drake. These were... My neighbors. We've had so many great neighbors. In fact, we live around uh, some people that go here to our church, and we've lived around them in the past and now in the future. And at one point, uh, Skip Allen, the pastor at Hope Community, he was one of our neighbors. And we've just had some wonderful neighbors growing up. But these two, for me personally, really stand out because when we lived across from Bernie and Cindy, we brought our first three children home to that house. And Bernie and Cindy, and and you guys probably know this, but like the first house where you bring your kids home to, that's a special house for you. That's a a special community. And I'll never forget every time we brought a child home, Bernie and Cindy just loved our children. They loved me and Crystal. And and quite frankly, they, they reminded me a lot of the way our grandparents loved me. They meant so much to us. In fact, we still go and spend time with them and see them when we can. They're just a giving, loving couple. And when we think of loving our neighbor and I think of Bernie and Cindy, I'm like, that's easy. I can love them all day because you know why? Because they love me all the time. But this is what Jesus is, sh- is saying here and this is a little bit of a shocking value. He's saying to us, hey, love Bernie and Cindy, love your neighbor, but also love these guys. Now think about this for just a minute. Every one of us in here that was uh, like cognitive, when this happened, we remember where we were. We remember the feelings we felt, the betrayal, the frustration, the anger, the desire to come back, right? And here's what's so shocking about what Jesus is saying in this passage. He's saying, love the Bernie and Cindy Drakes of the world, yes, but also love... The people that do things like this. Jesus radically extends our reach of love. And it doesn't negate justice, right? I'm not saying, hey, nobody should be held accountable. I'm not saying anything like that. There is a thing called justice in our world. And God loves justice as well. But he also loves us in a way that we should love others that same way. That yes, we don't negate justice, but we do extend forgiveness. That this is what loving your neighbor and loving your enemy looks like. And the question is, why do we do this? He tells us right here in verse 45. Jesus says, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The reason we are to love our enemies is because it makes us become more like our heavenly father. It makes us more like our heavenly father. You know, for a lot of us in this room, when we think of the term "father," some of us have very mixed opinions or mixed ideas and thoughts about how we view our father. For some of you, you had a tough father, someone that maybe didn't love, maybe didn't know your father. But for me, when I read this, I think of my father, and I'll be honest with you guys. I'm not just saying this because he is a pastor here at the church, but I really desire to be like him. Like I want to be more like. My dad, because my dad is an honorable man. So get this picture, even if you can't get it in your own life, get this picture of a loving father that loves you unconditionally here on earth. Now, double and multiply that by a million, and that's who we're talking about here with God, that we get to be like God, our heavenly father. God's love extends to his enemies, that while we were sinners, while we were enemies of God... He still died for us. He still came to rescue us. So this love that God has for others and even his enemies, God is calling us to have the same love. Verse 46 says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the the Gentiles do the same? He's, He's basically saying here, hey, don't go cherry pick the people that you want to love. That's not what this passage is saying. Go find the person that is one of the most difficult people to love in your life and go be Jesus to them. That's what he's saying. And the result of this, how do we love our enemies? The result is this. It's treating your enemies as if they were your friends treating your enemies as if they were your friends. Verse 14 again, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. You know, the word bless for us has a very interesting meaning. Like here in the South, the word bless means a whole bunch of stuff. Have you figured this out by now? And we've talked about this before, but like you think about the, the, the lady, the girl that's on her phone you know, and she's walking up to, uh, walking down the sidewalk, and she's got her phone out. And what happens when she hits the pole? Right, she doesn't see the pole because she's not looking. What do we say? Bless her heart. Or the guy, you know, the guy going into Pleasant City Pizza today, and he's he's going up to the door and he's pushing on the door and he can't get the door open because it's not a push door; it's a pull door. And what do we say? Bless him, Lord. What are we saying there? What an idiot. Right? And we've all been that idiot, so it's okay. But, but here's the thing. When we hear the term "bless," we think as Southerners, we think, oh, we got this down. We, we do this good. That's not what this is referring to. In fact, I want you to think about this for a minute. I want us to take a, a note from the way Middle Easterners bless one another. And this is kind of a weird thing. And it, I've actually seen this, and I didn't even know what I saw until I went and studied it. But the way Middle Easterners, many of them, the way they salute one another, the way they bless one another, is they do this thing right here. They do this. And it's kind of weird when you first see it. And here's what he's saying here's here's what they do they touch their heart, they touch their lips, they touch their head, and they, they extend their hand. And this is what they mean when they bless. Get this. I think this is what God desires from us the way we should bless. They touch and they bless. With their head. It's this idea of I think rightly of you. I see you the way God sees you. They touch their lips. They bless with their lips. I speak well of you. I speak well of you. And if I don't have anything well to say, I'm not going to say it. It's this idea of blessing with their heart. It's this idea of saying my heart beats for you. That when we bless people, it's not just some coy little phrase that we say to cover what we really want to say about them. It's blessing with the head. It's blessing with the lips. It's blessing with the heart. It's saying this person. It's a posturing. It's a position of our soul towards that person that hates us. That's how we disarm hostility. Look at verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Disarming hostility, that's one thing we're doing, but we're also equipping empathy. We're equipping empathy. And empathy and sympathy are two totally different things. You see, a lot of us are really good at the sympathy thing. Like We get that pretty well. But empathy is a whole different thing. Sympathy is feeling for someone. Sympathy is feeling bad for someone, it's feeling happy for someone, but sympathy is this idea of feeling for someone, and the goal in sympathy is thinking in our minds, a response will make this all better. A response will make this all better. And most of the time, that response begins with the words, at least, at least. Someone shares something incredibly painful, and what do we say? At least this. Someone shares about their grandfather passing away, and what do we say? Well, at least he had many good years here on earth. I lost my job. Well, at least you have your health. My marriage is in trouble. Well, at least you have a marriage. We're really good at these little at least statements. I had a miscarriage. Well, at least you know you can get pregnant. You see, we have this in us when we're playing the sympathy card where it's the focus of trying to put a silver lining on every cloud. And those statements may indeed be true, but they rarely fix anything. Everything spoken should be true, but not everything true should be spoken. Sympathy is feeling for someone. But empathy is feeling with someone. It's feeling with someone. Sympathy is standing on the edge of a pool with someone drowning and handing them a pole to try to pull them out. But empathy, empathy is plunging into the water, risking your own life to help. You know, it's funny because like when they teach you in in like a pool exercise or pool safety, they tell you, don't ever get in the pool with them and try to help them or you'll drown yourself. Give them the stick, right? But here's the truth, and we know this to be true. No parent is going to sit there and watch their child sink to the bottom on the edge. Here, here, honey, here's a stick for you. No, what are we going to do? We are jumping headfirst in. Why? Because we don't care about our lives at that point. We just want to save them. And empathy works the same way. Empathy's goal is not a response will make it better. It's a connection will make it better. It's not some quick-witted response that we have to every single person out there suffering. No, it's saying, you know what, I don't know what to say, but I am here for you right now in this moment. I am here with you right now. It's the ministry of presence. We actually talked about this yesterday in our marriage seminar or marriage uh, weekend. It's the ministry of presence. And this is so hard for us. Why? It's hard because we're jealous. It's hard because we're competitive. It's hard because we're insecure. That for a lot of us, we don't want to celebrate when they're celebrating. We want to we weep when they're celebrating. We want to rejoice when they're hurting. Remember the story of the prodigal in Luke 15, the prodigal son? Who's the prodigal at the end of the story? It's not the one that ran away. The prodigal son at the end of Luke 15, the end of that story, wasn't the one that ran away. It was the older brother that couldn't celebrate his brother coming home. That was the prodigal of the story. It's this idea that that we have to give out empathy. And here's the conundrum for every one of us in this room. We rarely give this out to people in our own circles. But think about the context of this. He's saying here, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with these same people who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And no one models this better than Jesus. The Gospel of John. You get this great picture here, and I didn't know this till this week, but did you ever pay attention that the first sign miracle that Jesus did was at a wedding? The first one recorded in John was at a wedding. Life's happiest hour, right? Guess what the last sign miracle recorded in John is? The last one before Jesus goes to the cross, which that's an incredible miracle. But the last miracle he performs, a sign miracle, it actually was at a funeral. The worst moment in a person's life. What is Jesus telling us? What's John telling us here? That Jesus was in the mix of all of it, right? He was in the mix of every bit of it. You want to be Christ-like? Equip empathy. Empathy. Next, our second nature involves opposing and submitting. Opposing something and submitting something. What are we opposing? We are opposing partiality. We're opposing partiality. Verse 16, live in harmony with, be of the same mind toward one another. Have the same mind about this person as you do about that person. Do not be haughty. Do not be proud or conceited. But associate with the lowly. I remember uh, when I was 10 years old, it kind of just happened at about 10. I was the firstborn in my family, uh, in my line of cousins and and, uh, siblings, and firstborn in the family. And I remember every Christmas dinner, you had the kitty table and you had the adult table. And somewhere around 10 years old, something changed in me, and I didn't want to sit at the kitty table anymore. I wanted to sit with the adults. And here's what really I was saying and what really was going through my mind. I thought at some level I was better than my cousins, my younger cousins. I thought at some level I was better than even my sister because I wanted to be with all the important people. And I think for some of us, for a lot of us, we want to sit, we don't want to sit at the kiddie table. We want to sit with all the important people. People. And what Jesus is saying here is, hey, do not be conceited. Don't be proud. Associate with the lowly. Now, let's be clear here. When we say lowly, it's not, it might be the way we see them, but it's not the way heaven sees them. Just because they're lowly in our eyes doesn't mean they're lowly to Jesus. Lowliness is in the eye of the beholder. So if you want to know who your lowly is, think of the person in your heart that you have contempt for, that you have disdain towards. Think of it. It may be a certain race of people that you have contempt for. It may be uh, those that vote a certain way that you have contempt for. Those that are in a lower economic bracket than you are. Maybe you have contempt for those people. Those people that dress different, look different, act different, talk different. Whoever it is in your heart that you have contempt for, that is who you believe is lowly. And what Jesus is saying here is, hey, he has come to change every bit of this. That the same Jesus, think about this, the Jesus that treated the adulterous woman at the well, that talked to the adulterous woman at the well, he treated her no different than the polished and popular Nicodemus. That he was as patient with Judas as he was with Peter. He was as charitable to the dying thief on the cross as he was to his own mother. That Jesus sets the stage for what it looks like to eliminate the lowly in our hearts. A person's worth is not wrapped up in anything except what Jesus Thinks about them. So this verse means we are to value and love the way Jesus did. Equally and individually. Equally and individually. It's not dropping, and, and, and please understand here, it's not this idea of, okay, I'm supposed to love everyone equal, I'm just gonna drop everyone down to the same level. No, think of it the other way. It's really this idea of raising everyone up to the same level. That we love people not only equally, We love them individually as well. So we're opposing partiality, but we're also submitting in humility. We're opposing partiality, but we're submitting in humility. Look at the last part of verse 16. Never be wise in your own sight. Another way of saying this, don't be a know-it-all. And I'll just tell you, The truth of that phrase is literally crushing my toes right now. Because I'm just going to tell you, this is a struggle for me. Don't be a know-it-all. Don't feel like you have to give your opinion in every single area and aspect of life. Especially when it comes to loving enemies, loving people that are far away from God. Our pride says this, I'm better than you, let me share my opinions with you. I'm better than you, let me share my opinions with you. And we might not say that out loud, but a lot of us, we live our lives that way. The sad fact is many of us have lost our way trying to help people find their way. Because we think helping people find their way is just sharing with them how much more we know than them. But here's the thing, guys. Arguments don't change people. Arguments don't change people. Only Jesus has the power to change people. And it will be harder for them to see God if their view of him is blocked by our big opinions. Don't try to be the sheriff for everyone. Just be their friend. Just be their friend. You see, pride says I'm better than you. Let me share my opinions with you. But humility says I can learn from you. Let me hear your heart. The question is, do you have a teachable spirit? Do you have a teachable spirit? There are so many people that I've come in contact with outside of here outside of the church walls, in the church walls too, but outside of the church walls, man, they are utterly lost. And the question is, do I want to lord over them all that I know about God, all that I know about Jesus, all that I know about the Bible, as if I'm better than them? Or do I want to hear their heart? Do I want to learn what's going on in their life so I can truly love them the way Jesus Love them. At the end of the day, I don't want people to meet my opinions. I want them to meet Jesus. And so closing today, I want to kind of go back to our, our application from last week. Has loving your enemies well become second nature for you? If not, what needs to change? God's desire and design is to empower you to love your enemies the way He loves them. So, if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to ask the question today Are you loving people? Are you loving your enemies? Those that are opposed to God, opposed to the gospel, opposed to Jesus, are you loving them the way? God loves them. Loving people the way Jesus did means living a life of constant interruptions to our normal and casual life. It's treating our enemies like friends. It's jumping headfirst into empathy with them. It's being okay sitting at the, t- the kitty table not always after the people we deem as important. And it's truly learning from people And hearing their heart. So today I'm asking, are you loving people well? Not just your neighbor. Are you loving your enemies well? Are you caring for them? God wants to change your heart. He wants to change their heart, but a lot of times he can't change their heart until he changes your heart. Until you get on the right place and seeing them the way God sees them and loving them the way he has called us to love them. So, Father, we pray, Lord, right now, God, that you would begin to soften our heart for those that are opposed to you, Lord. Those that we've tried and still hate us, Lord, I pray we keep trying. I pray we keep loving those people, Father. Lord, you created them. You have a design for them, Lord. God, they persecute us. They come against us, Lord. But, Father, we want to build bridges into their lives, Lord. God, we don't want to see judgment befall them, Lord. We want to see mercy come into their lives. So, Father, use us as a tool of reconciliation, Lord, to bring them to knowledge of who you are, Jesus. God, help them to see that not through all of our opinions, but through a genuine love and empathy for them. God, help us in Jesus' name.